0: Specialty Story, session number 69. Whether you're a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you will want to practice. This podcast is here to tell you the stories of specialists from every field, to give you the information you need to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here. Um, well, I used to say every week, but we've had some some delays in finding physicians for the podcast. So I have a great guest for you today, and it was Provided to me by a student. So if you have a physician, if you know of a physician who you think would make a great guest on this podcast, shoot me an email, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. Look through our list, see what we haven't done. And remember, I'm doing academic and private practice slash community for every specialty. And I only am looking for attendings, so no residents, no fellows and no military physicians at this point in time. So again, if you have any suggestions for physicians who you think would make a great guest, email me, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. Today I have Dr. Pamela Mehta, who is a private practice general orthopedic surgeon. Now she's been out of training now for 10 years and has been in private practice for two years. So we get into a great discussion about what led her to private practice, what she's been doing post-training, what types of patients she sees, what she likes about orthopedics, and we even get into what it's like to be a female in a male-dominated specialty. We start by talking about what drew Pamela to orthopedics originally.
1: I didn't know I wanted to be a surgeon at all. In fact, I thought I was going to do primary care. That's why I went to medical school. That's all the volunteer work I did in college. Um, and I saw myself as either a pediatrician or a family medicine doctor, and so when I was planning planning my third year rotations, I actually put trauma surgery first because I thought there's no way I'm going into this, and I just want to get it out of the way, and I want to practice how to, you know, talk to residents and kind of how to impress attendings, and so that by the time I get to my Family medicine, internal medicine, and pediatric rotation. I'll be um, in good position to get good letters, and and um, I'll know what I'm doing. And so I was at USC for medical school, and they have a they're affiliated with a large county hospital um, in Southern California. And at my first day of the trauma surgery rotation, I could not believe how excited I was, and how. Um, Just the adrenaline that was pumping when uh, trauma came into the trauma bay and how um, the ER doctors, the nurses, the surgeons, everyone worked together to get this patient up into the operating room as efficiently as possible. And I got asked, do you want to scrub into this surgery? And I was like, absolutely. And I scrubbed in and I just will never forget that feeling. It was this ultimate adrenaline endorphin high that I was on. And then we fixed the patient. We rounded on the patient the next couple of days and they went home. And we basically saved this person's life who had been shot through the abdomen several times. And from that day on, that first week, I decided, oh, I'm making a complete switch. I'm going to do <laughs> surgery. And um, kind of threw a wrench in my plans of having all my surgical rotations at the beginning to kind of just get them out of the way. So then I really had to just gear up and study really hard and just kind of make sure I got really good grades in those rotations. And then actually ended up being a blessing in disguise because then I had the whole year to figure out what I was going to do my fourth year sub-eyes in. Mm -hmm. And, And it gave me time to choose which surgical subspecialty I wanted to do.
0: Do you think it hindered you at all realizing, quote unquote, that late in the game that surgery was what you wanted to do?
1: No, it didn't hinder me at all. And I know people get nervous about that and think they have to take a year off for research and they have to go, you know, get more letters of rec and just do a lot more. And for me, I was pretty um, steadfast that I wanted to complete med school on time in four years and start a surgical residency. And I just was really committed and passionate about it. And I just talked to as many people as I knew. And I I think the best way to do that is at your own home program. That is your best kind of shot at getting um, a competitive uh, specialty position. And so I figured out that I liked surgery on bigger things like orthopedics instead of like the eye or the ear. Um, and I fig- and I figured out also fast that I liked taking care of relatively healthy patients that just had one kind of issue or problem that we that you'd get this immediate gratification of fixing. And I really liked my orthopedic rotation. I thought the the people work the, that you work with are a lot of fun and smart, and um, just kind of have a good um, kind of team mentality. And so, as soon as I figured that out, I just kind of went um, went forward pretty fast in terms of just doing as many rotations and preceptorships with orthopedic surgeons. And then I got into a little bit of research and just got really good letters. And I picked out my sub-I rotations where I did away rotations my fourth year at some programs that I, ha- I had read about that they accepted people that did rotations. And that was really important to them.
0: You finished your training 10 years ago. You've, you've been out of training now, Long before the the hashtag "I look like a surgeon" movement, where female surgeons are out there saying, "Hey, like I'm a physician, I'm a surgeon too," how much pushback was there, both inside and outside the system, for you as a as a female wanting to go into ortho?
1: Um, I would say there is a fair amount of it. When I was at USC, I got told many, many times by the other orthopedic surgeons, the residents that I was on rotation with. You know, why don't you do radiology or anesthesia or a PM&R is a great fit for you because you like sports things. Um, and I always just I, di- I guess I never understood. I said, why? Why? Are, why can't I do this also? And um, there was always this sense of, well, if you want a family and if you want a, an easier lifestyle, orthopedics is really difficult. And so once I got a position at a residency program, I will say I went to a very supportive residency, which is, is, is very important to kind of figure that out on your interviews. Um, I went to Columbia and, um, out of the six people in my class, two of us were women and the class right below me, four of them were women out of wow. the six. And, um, we didn't have a lot of female attendings, but they were all very, very supportive. I think cause it was in New York city at a, big academic center where, um, they're very liberal about, you know, women, obviously. Um, and in New York city, women, uh, most women work. And so, um, I think I was almost protected there cause I didn't, I never really felt like a woman there in terms of like feeling discriminated against or kind of not taken seriously. Then when I went out into the workforce, that was, that was the worst of it all. Actually, when I started interviewing for jobs, um, I, faced a lot of that. Uh, well, are you going to get pregnant and stop working? And, oh, your husband's a spine surgeon. So why would you work? Um, I got all kinds of ridiculous questions that are probably completely illegal. And that was, <laughs> I had to navigate through all of that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that if you are a female and you want to go into a male dominated specialty, you absolutely should, but you do have to have a thick skin. That's just, um, that's life. And you have to be able to let that stuff kind of roll off of you. And in some ways, you have to be even more perfect than your male counterparts. Because if you slip up on something as a female, there are definitely um, that crowd of people that will think it's because you're a girl. So I do think you just have to develop a strong, um, thick skin. And you have to work that much harder. Which I was up for that challenge. And I was I was okay with it.
0: Yeah. And we're recording this a couple days after the Southwest uh, in-flight emergency where the engine blew up, and of course, it's a, a woman pilot. A woman that's landing. Who saved the so day! I was so happy to see that.
1: <laughs> yes,
0: that was awesome. So, as a general orthopedic surgeon, what sorts of patients, what sorts of pathologies, injuries are you treating on a day-to-day basis?
1: Um, that's a great question. I think part of the reason I loved orthopedics was because I can take care of children, um, uh, you know, young adults, and senior seniors. Um, I treat fracture work when, you know, people who break their bones and have to go to the ER, they can't walk or, you know, do the things they need to do or kind, or sports injuries, um, you know, shoulder rotator cuff tears, labral tears, knee meniscus, ACL tears. Um, and then I, I, I take care of arthritis patients, the patients that are older that, you know, need care for their joints. They can't walk. It's very debilitating. They can't play with their grandkids. They can't garden. They can't do the things that they want to do in their retirement. Um, and so I do joint replacement surgery as well.
0: As a general orthopedic surgeon, the, the medical world seems to be going further and further into specialties and subspecialties. What What led to the decision to stay a general orthopedic surgeon?
1: So that was also a difficult battle, um, at Columbia was extremely supportive of me during my residency. I do think that it was a little bit rare for, a, uh, for a resident to graduate and not do a fellowship. So, mm-hmm. um, I think that my, um, attendings would have preferred me to do a fellowship because everybody does do a specialty nowadays, um, especially in the com- more competitive environments and in, in bigger cities like New York, LA, San Francisco, Chicago, um, I just decided I really liked general orthopedics. I, I liked the bread and butter orthopedics. I liked de- uh, taking care of all kinds of issues from sports injuries to fracture work to, uh, to arthritic patients. And so I took the leap. I decided not to do one. I thought in my head if I ever want to go back, I could do a fellowship. Um, and when I applied for jobs, I actually didn't find it that difficult. I found that there were positions out there. And once you're in your job, it, you really learn so much on the job in your first couple of years as an attending and a brand new surgeon that the, the fellowship stuff doesn't really matter as much. Um, now, from a marketing standpoint, once you're out in practice, it probably is in your best interest if you are going to be in a bigger city to be able to market yourself as, you know, I'm, I'm a sports specialist or I'm an arthritis specialist. So, um, I, I sometimes kind of think what would I have done if I did a fellowship, but I always come back to the same thing that I really just enjoyed general orthopedics.
0: What led to your decision to, to open up your own practice, leave a, a hospital based system and, and come back and open up a, a private practice?
1: Um, so c- this again, kind of touches on that whole female thing. So, um, I ended up joining a large group that had mostly men. I think I was pro- probably the only female general orthopedist. I think there was a couple hand surgeons that were uh, female or that are female. Um, once I had children, I have two young kids, one's four and one's almost three years old. I had them kind of back to back. Once I had my children, I realized that it was very difficult to work um, in a large group um, of men. They They, didn't always seem to understand if I needed to drop or pick up my kids or if there something going on at school, like a school play or something like that. And I just really wanted the flexibility to, to do what I want when I want on my own terms. Um, it all it became a little bit harder to be able to do surgery starting at 7am in the morning because I have kids that, you know, need to have, be given breakfast and go to school. So, um, I made the decision after my second child to go out into private practice, which was a difficult decision to make. I had a really good job with a steady paycheck and great benefits. Um, And it's a little riskier to be out in private practice, especially on your own. But I felt like I had several years of experience in the surgical volume under my belt that I felt confident enough to go out on my own. And now I've been out on my own for about two years and I'm happier than ever because I am my own boss and I call the shots and if I want to start clinic at 9 or 9.30 in the morning, I can and if I want to do cases at 10 a.m., I can and I am probably busier than I was before but it's all on my own terms and financially I probably make more money than I did before as well. So I'm, I'm very happy with my decision to do, to do private practice.
0: That's awesome. Thank you. For the, for the students out there that love the investigative part of being a physician, as an orthopedic surgeon, how, what percentage of your patients are coming to you already diagnosed and you're just booking them for the OR, OR? How many are coming needing that diagnosis to figure out what's wrong with them?
1: Oh, That's also a great question. I would say mostly everyone comes that still needs a diagnosis and that needs kind of some fact-finding. I often have patients that have been either to their primary care doctor or a chiropractor or a physical therapist, and they have some kind of lingering pain in their knee or shoulder, but they don't really know why, and so they haven't even had x-rays done, let alone MRIs. Um, So oftentimes they're coming with some idea of kind of what may be going on, but they don't have the answer yet. So um, I would say that mostly we have to we have to diagnose the patient. So we take them kind of from beginning to end. And in orthopedics, there's a lot of non-operative care that you do before you um, actually do any kind of surgery. Um, So I think that's interesting too, because you kind of get to see them through that whole pathway and see when patients are getting better without surgery or whether, you know, now's the time to pull the trigger and it it is time for surgery. Um, I would also say that because orthopedics is not a big part of medical school. I think when I was a second year med student, we got like three or four weeks of musculoskeletal and then in your rotations, it's not required. So many people don't even do it. Um, that unfortunately a lot of primary care doctors don't really know how to diagnose some of these problems. So I'll have patients that come in that are diagnosed with like carpal tunnel syndrome in their hand. And really what they have is a trigger finger. So, I think in some ways it's almost more complex because sometimes you're being led in a different direction from like what says on the referral than when the patient comes in and and you kind of have to start from the beginning and not really trust anyone else's diagnosis, not because they're not smart or don't know what they're doing. It's just they haven't had the training in it.
0: Mm -hmm. It, For the future primary care doc out there, is there a general reference manual that you love to, to tell primary care docs to get?
1: Um, I like, so the fracture handbook, it's a really small handbook mm-hmm. that you can put into your pocket. I, I like that for fractures. I think that's really good. Um, and then I, I don't really have a good one for just kind of general bread and butter ortho. I think that if you have like the opportunity, even shadowing an orthopedist at, at some point in your training, in your residency training, I think it's super important. because So much of what comes into your office is musculoskeletal. It's surprising. Yeah. Definitely. Um, And then I, you know, I really have tried as a private practitioner to go out in the community. I give my cell phone, my email address to all the primary care doctors and I I tell them, if you have a question, you need a curbside, just text me, call me. I'm more than happy to walk you through things and answer any question for you. So I think building a relationship with an orthopedist in town as a primary care doctor is a good idea too. Just someone to pick their brain and kind of ask, like, is this something that's serious? Is it not? Can I, can it wait till after the weekend? You know, that sort of thing
0: you talked about there's a lot of non-operative stuff that happens before you take somebody to the operating room. What percentage of patients do you think that see you, you actually end up taking to the operating room?
1: Oh gosh. Okay. So when I was working for the large group, (laughs) I would say that it was, um, it was probably 70% went to the OR because there was a lot of layers of primary care, physical therapy, PM&R that was seeing the patient before they finally got to me, if you are out in private practice, and I would say that might be the same of academics as well. Mm -hmm. I think if you are out in private practice, then that, that, that percentage is very different. You're probably taking 30 to 40% of those patients to the operating room. And that is because as a private practitioner, you don't ever really want to say no to anything that comes through your door because if, if, you know, primary care doctor, Dr. Smith is sending you just routine knee pain. Um, you want to take care of that patient and also get there. I tore my rotator cuff patient. So you never say no. You see everyone and everything. So you're less protected when you're out in private practice and not part of a large multi specialty group.
0: Yeah. Describe a typical week.
1: Um, so now that I'm out on my own, I can do whatever I want. And I have decided that Mondays I like to operate. So Mondays are my OR day and I like to start the week off with that. And I also like to start the week off with that because I do a a fair amount of outpatient surgery, but some of my surgery is inpatient, like my joint replacement. So if I do them Monday, then they're out before the weekend, which is always nice for the patient and for the doctor. Um, and then usually Tuesday to Friday, I'm in the office and, and it's a mix of procedure work, meaning giving injections. I do some regenerative medicine, like PRP and stem cells. And then sometimes kind of at the closer to the end of the week, Friday or Thursday, I'll do a second OR slot where I'll take some fractures that have come through on um, call or on the, in the through the ER, um, or have that have walked in the clinic. So that's usually what my week looks like when I look, worked for this Larger organization, I was probably in the operating room, closer to two full days of the week.
0: As a private practice orthopod, how does how does call work? How do you get involved in call with the hospital?
1: So, when you are in private practice, you decide to affiliate yourself with certain hospitals, and usually those hospitals will ask that you take call, ER call, meaning that you're you're on call a few nights of the month and the ER will call you with any fractures that come through. And usually when you're brand new starting out, you want to take that ER call because that's how you get some patients into your office. Um, And then, you know, inevitably mom who broke her wrist will tell her friend when her friend has knee pain. And so then that becomes a referral source for you as well. Um, So that's ER call. And you can do as little or as much as you want usually. If you're part of a group in private practice or even like me who's a sole practitioner, Um, you will join up with some other colleagues and take group call for your uh, private inpatient, private patients that come through your office. So, you know, if my patient has surgery on a Thursday or Friday, you know, then over the weekend, if that patient is having pain or questions, then they'll have somebody to call. So I am part of a larger call group for those patients that come into our office. It's about eight of us. Um, And that's pretty light. That's not anything... Anything too crazy. I think it becomes a little bit more work intensive if you are affiliated with a large trauma hospital where you're in house doing a lot of fracture work overnight and things like that.
0: Do you feel like you have enough time for family?
1: Oh, yes, I do. I have too much time for my crazy toddler boys, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, my husband's a surgeon too, he's a spine, orthospine surgeon. So, I think there's some balance that comes with that. uh, and so we, we kind of work together in terms of what our week is going to look like, who's going to be in the OR what day and who's going to be on call and when will we get out of, you know, clinic and be able to see our kids. But I would say that, you know, the most important thing is when we come home, we're there hundred percent for our children. We put our phones away and kind of disconnect from the rest of the world. And we're, we're playing and doing things with our kids till they go to bed. And then we really make weekends about, about family time and, Making sure we, you know, do things with them, take them up to San Francisco, go for hikes, spend time with family. Um, our kids are in soccer in the morning, so I, I think we have a really good work-life balance. Which um, I think that is also in part due to my partner. I mean, he's he's all about doing fifty percent of the household acti- uh, work, so I'm I'm very lucky that way. So I think I think that's super important.
0: Talk about the path to become an orthopedic surgeon. What does is, what is the training look like?
1: Obviously, four years of undergraduate training and then four years of med school, and then usually in your third end of third year, beginning of fourth year, you have to do an orthopedic rotation, um, usually at your home program, and then you can make the choice to do a couple sub eyes away. Um, and then I applied probably to about 10 orthopedic programs, and I went on about three six or seven interviews and um, matched at Columbia. And that's a five-year uh, program. All all orthopedic residencies are five years. Your first year is a mix of general surgery and orthopedics. And then PGY2 year is basically what we call our ortho intern year. So you're kind of the scut monkey and you do all the consults in the emergency room. Um, and and that's probably your most work intensive year. Um, and then the rest Three years are basically more concentrated on operative, operating and operative skill. Um, and then people do can choose to do a fellowship, and all orthopedic fellowships are one year, which is really nice because that's actually not long. Um, and the fellowships are spine, sports, uh, joint replacement, hand, foot and ankle, I don't think, and peds. Yeah.
0: Ortho's pretty competitive to match into. What should a student be doing to make sure they are competitive enough to match? Uh,
1: That's a good question also too, because I feel like I was intimidated by how competitive everyone said it was. And it is a very competitive specialty. I would say first and foremost is try to honor your rotations in your third year. They look at that and to try to get good letters of recommendations and um, score well on your boards. Although I will say I had pretty average board scores Um, and even when I got those board scores back, many people said, oh, you might need to take a year off and do some research, or maybe you need to switch gears, but I was pretty determined. So I picked three places to go do my sub eyes, my fourth year, and I just busted my butt. I was up first in the morning. I was the last student to leave and I just made a really good impression on, on those people and was able to garner a couple more letters, um, in that process Um, so what, and, and I did a little research, I wouldn't say my research was very heavy. So what I would tell the student is, is that if you have good board scores, um, that doesn't make you a shoe in for sure, but it does help your, your chances quite a bit. Um, but if you don't have good board scores or just kind of mediocre ones, then it's, it's that much more important to just impress people a lot and get really good letters.
0: The osteopathic world is growing and growing, and there are a lot of osteopathic students who are very interested in ortho. What sort of negative bias do you see against osteopathic students in the ortho world, and what can they do to potentially overcome that?
1: So I actually see none. The, one of, the best orthopedic surgeon in that big group that I used to be a part of was a DO. He operated um, better and more efficient than any of the rest of us, Uh, he was probably the most revered. Everybody asked him, um, when they had questions about things or needed to go over a case. Um, I currently work with an orthopedist in town, um, that is also just excellent. He's, he's very, very well-trained. Um, so I, I really think that we're at a time now where there's really not much bias that I can see. And, um, I think, you know, just, Kind of put your your head to it and and persevere and I think that once you actually are out in practice, I really think it doesn't matter that much and at all.
0: Yeah, there's there's still a few figureheads at some of the more prestigious programs that probably have some bias, but outside of that,
1: you know what? Then that's not a program yeah. you want to be a part of. Is what what I what I've really learned to figure out is that any place that is that unaccepting, if you're whether you're a female or you have children or like you said a do. And that's not really a place that you want to be at. And I think the, the the easier, the the quicker that people learn to realize that, I think, the better. Because I I, I think we all somehow get caught in. We got to be at the best place with mm-hmm. you know, um, and you know, if they don't want you, it's okay. You'll just work harder. But it just does. It doesn't. Unfortunately, doesn't work that way. And I think that it's best to be at a place that's going to support you in your endeavors.
0: Yeah. I think you kind of already answered this with physical exam skills, but I'll, I'll ask anyway. For the future primary care provider out there, what do you, what's the one thing you wish they knew more about what you do day in and day out to help you and your patients?
1: The prim- you mean the primary care physician? Yeah. Um, I think that the biggest thing I can say is that if you're going to send a patient to me, at least have x-rays done. It's very hard for an orthopedics to evaluate patients without x-rays. So I think that's important. Um, And then also, you know, you can always get someone started on physical therapy, unless it's a broken bone. Um, I think that if somebody's having knee or shoulder pain or any extremity pain, you can get them going on some physical therapy. So it's kind of nice to just get knock out a few of the non-operative treatments before sending them to a specialist, you know, we use a lot of NSAIDs, we, you know, we do the PT and then if, you know, a primary care physician isn't comfortable with an injection, I totally get that. I'm more than willing to do that for the patient, but kind of just making a little effort to get them a little bit of treatment before they get to you.
0: What other specialties do you work the closest with?
1: Uh, Surprisingly, pain management. um, They're a big one because usually you'll get patients with back and neck pain and pain management can help a lot with that. Um, and PM&R as well. Um, but then after that, probably internal and family medicine.
0: Are there any special opportunities outside of clinical medicine, seeing patients in the clinic for general
1: Um Yes, there's actually a ton, to be honest. Um, there's the whole medical legal world where um people ask for you to review charts and do kind of um and and this isn't just for insurance companies but also for for pe- people who get into personal injury you know they they get into a car accident things like that those injuries are almost always orthopedic in nature so there's a lot of personal injury work that you can do um and, and, and in you can it can go from the whole gamut of doing an independent medical examination um or you could be an expert witness or um you can be a treating physician for the patient, or you can review charts. Um, There's a lot of work that you can do on the outside of just um, clinical medicine in terms of dealing with traditional insurance companies. And I think if at some point you decide to transition and just wanted to do chart reviews, you could probably even make a a whole profession out of that. Um, And then what's also nice in orthopedics is Um, we cover a lot of sports games, so you can go to the local high school and junior highs and community colleges and ask if they need someone to come and, and, and kind of be there on the sidelines for the games. And so you can get patients that way. And also it's just kind of nice to, to be at, at those sporting events and to, to take care of people that way as well.
0: What do you wish you knew or what do you know now that you wish you knew before going into ortho?
1: Oh, it's again, back to that female thing. I think I was really naive and energetic in medical school thinking, oh, it's not a big deal that I'm a female. And even if some people are a little bit hesitant about it, it'll be okay. And for the large part, it has been. But I think at some point, it would be nice to have more female colleagues (laughs) instead of all men colleagues all the time. Um, And also kind of, I just feel like I'm a little bit out on an island because there's only about 5% of us female orthopedic surgeons practicing outside of residency. I think wow. in training, it's about 14%, and then we drop down to five. So there really aren't very many of us. And so I think um, sometimes that's a little bit of a struggle and just not feeling the camaraderie that I think um, in more female dominated specialties, like maybe ob or pediatricians, when they're starting a family, I think they get a little bit more support from their colleagues than than, than I do as a female. But probably that would be, it. in terms of the actual work, I absolutely love ortho and I, I would not be happy doing any other, other field. I really like it. And that being said, I do think when you're in medical school and maybe one specialty isn't working out for you, say, you know, you've gotten the feedback that you're not going to match into this specialty, or you have tried to match and you don't match. I do think it's a good idea to keep an open mind to think about two or three other different specialties, because I really do feel like you can be as happy in those um, as you would be in the original one you chose. So now at this point, I can't see myself doing anything else, but back then, I probably could have, yes. Mm
0: -hmm. How do we fix that, the the 14% in training, 5% out in practice of female orthopedic surgeons? Is that a system thing, you think, keeping numbers down, or is that... The stereotype of the orthopedic surgeon being this male sports uh, jock, Neanderthal dude, um, how mm-hmm. do we how do we fix that and let women know that, that, yes, you can be an orthopod?
1: Yeah, it's a system problem. Unfortunately, there's still a lot of discrimination in medicine and probably more so in the surgical fields. And then if you even narrow that down, probably more in fields like orthopedics and neurosurgery and urology. Um, it's unfortunate, but we just haven't made the strides, you know, that we should have made by now. So I would just say that the the way to do it is for, for the men to really accept females into into their, their quote-unquote circle and just recognize that we're a large part of the workforce. We have something to contribute. And um, just like we all know that it's good to have different, um, you know, diversity in fields that, you know, we, we need that in orthopedics as well.
0: Yeah. There's Um, plenty of data out there that shows that when women are in charge of companies or have lots of leadership positions that those companies do better.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's not one thing I've ever not been able to do that a male counterpart of mine has been able to do. And I think that's proved time and time again. And I think what concerns me more than the 14% is the 14 to five. So where are all those females going? Where did they go after they trained for, you know, four years of med school and five years of residency and maybe a year of fellowship? How come it drops down so significantly? And I and I would venture to say that that is probably because that's around the age that people start a family. And if people um, in the workforce aren't more open to that, that females are the ones that are bearing the children and have to kind of stay at home a little bit more, with their kids or work part-time or even semi-part-time, that that's something we need to accept and that we need to, um, to nurture that. I mean, and I think that that is a scarier number to me than the original number because you've gone through that much training and you just stop working. That sounds odd to me. Why would that be?
0: Yeah. What do you like the most about being an orthopod?
1: I like the variety. I think that's what I've always liked about it. And I still think that's what I like about it. I like that I get to go to the operating room. I like that I get to have my day in the office. I like that I can do some procedure stuff with injections um, and things like that. I like even, I even like after, you know, all these years casting a, you know, a, a, a distal radius fracture. I love all of that. So I just like the variety I think. And I get to do big surgeries where it's open and I'm fixing things with plates and screws or putting in a total joint. I get to do smaller surgeries like you know, scoping a knee or shoulder, just like playing video games. So it's, gr- it's great.
0: What do you like the least?
1: Oh, God, in every, I think in every surgical f- field, uh, you hate infection and pus. So that's probably <laughs> probably the thing we, I, I dislike the most.
0: <laughs> yeah, an infected joint is not a yes, fun Yes. Oh,
1: gosh, please. I get the shivers.
0: <laughs> do you see any major changes coming to the field that a student should be aware of?
1: I think orthopedics is a very dynamic field that there's new stuff coming all the time. Um, I think we're improving all of our implants that we put in, uh, the plates, the screws, the the joint replacement surgery, and then um, there's a huge wave of regenerative medicine with stem cells and the different ways to garner those stem cells. So I think there's a lot on the forefront of for orthopedics.
0: If you had to do it all over again, would you still be an orthopod?
1: Yes, I would. Um, I think I would have, I would be less naive about um, being a female in ortho, but yes, I would do it. I would do it all over again.
0: Any last words of wisdom for the medical student out there thinking about ortho that uh, you can give to him or her?
1: Yeah, I think it's a great field with a lot of variety. You get to operate. You get to see patients in the office. You get to have fun with your colleagues for the most part. We're all a fun group of people. Um, And, you know, you get to treat patients that really want to get back to their active lifestyle, which is nice. Um, And for the most part, they're generally healthy. I think if you're a medical student that's struggling a little bit with maybe board scores and things like that, um, don't let it get in the way. You can do it. It's very possible to do it, and even without taking time off. Um, I think it's just super important to show your passion and dedication for the field and um, just work really hard and and you can absolutely achieve anything you want.
0: All right, there you have it. Again, that was Dr. Pamela Mehta, general orthopedic surgeon in private practice. Great conversation about being a woman in male-dominated specialties and so much more. Hopefully that was helpful for you. If you were interested in orthopedics, if you're a woman and interested in going into a surgical subspecialty, hopefully this has opened your eyes to some of the potential challenges that are out there, unfortunately, um, for you in the future. Hopefully things get better, I and mean, that's the goal here at this podcast. We've done some, if you were interested in that discussion, on the pre-mid years, we've done some discussions with uh, other female physicians and trying to figure out how we can make medicine more open to to female physicians and and physicians who want to go have babies and and don't have issues with that from the male colleagues. So hopefully that was helpful. Go check out those pre-med years podcasts if that was interesting to you. And again, if you have any suggestions for specialists for this podcast, again, not just the specialty, but if you know a physician who would be a good guest, shoot me an email, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. Hopefully I will see you again soon. Have a great week and take care.